Welcome to Eczema Out Loud from the National Eczema Association. I'm Danny Morsehead. Today, my guest is Dr. Latanya Benjamin. Dr. Benjamin is a pediatric dermatology specialist based out of Coral Springs, Florida. She's here today to give us a better understanding of the dermatological landscape as it pertains to skin of color. We will cover how skin of color is addressed in medical training, during the diagnostic and treatment process, and in patient resources and education. Dr. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you start us off with telling us a bit of your background, maybe how you became a dermatologist? Excellent. Yes. My name is Dr. Latanya Benjamin. I am a double board certified pediatric dermatologist. That is my area of expertise. I absolutely love um, the challenges and um, getting patients better who are suffering with eczema. And I got into my area of expertise because I always knew I wanted to devote my career to caring for children and their families. And so I started out initially as a pediatrician in training and then decided to blend my two passions when I was later introduced to dermatology later in my course of medical school. We want to know how skin of color was addressed, if at all, when you were in medical school. To be honest, I think I was extremely fortunate. The medical school I went to, a private medical school in Philadelphia, really devoted to recruiting um, minority students at that time. And so I think a big part of, you know, your medical training is indeed the colleagues, the people you're studying with, uh, your faculty, your mentors. So I really feel fortunate that, um, although my primary concern is always the intensity of the curriculum in medical school (laughs) and making sure, you know, you successfully complete that training, I think, Another big, big um, tangible component of that is your surroundings and the people you're engaged with. And I think my medical school was definitely a leader in that area. Uh, so they were they were kind of pioneering. Exactly. They were really dedicated to re- the recruitment of minorities. Now we, you know, coin it underrepresented minorities in medicine, but at that time it was. Um, absolutely the recruitment of minorities and supporting them getting into medicine as a career. And I thought that um, paved the way definitely for um, someone like me. Yeah, that's great to hear. So because they were recruiting minorities, did they tend to address people of color in the, um, the training itself? Not necessarily. I just think um, in the medical training, although they were a pioneer, there's still limitations, right? Because like other training institutions around the nation, you're still provided the same textbooks per se and um, training. However, I think what they did extremely well was the engagement of their faculty and their mentorship. We had a huge um, presence with the NMA, which is the National Medical Association. And so I think there were various aspects to connect with others that were similar to you. And I think that um, really promoted lifelong friendships and support during the medical training. What an excellent experience. Yes. Yes. I would agree. If you were to go back to school, let's say, knowing what you know now, would there be things that you would encourage the faculty to incorporate into their training that pertain to, uh, minorities and people of color? Absolutely. Um, I do feel that, 
there is still things lacking for sure that is currently being addressed in a lot of our medical programs around the country, specifically our resources, our textbooks, geographically um, paying attention to whether there's a variety of populations represented in the community that you're serving, or at least being exposed if uh, you're predominantly of one particular cultural background. You know, there's um, access to a variety of community clinics and um, volunteer opportunities. So I do know that programs are aware of their potential deficit, so to say. And I think that is extremely important when choosing a medical school, a, a student um, to feel like either they fit in or they could be of value mm-hmm. at that particular program. Uh, so there are maybe resources available now for perspective students to understand which schools might better address these issues? Right. I think throughout the country in general, we're all evolving and trying to offer betterment to what we're offering um, when we teach our students. So specifically in dermatology, of, of course, skin of color needs to be addressed right across a platform. So the same medical condition can appear differently depending on your background, skin type or coloration, right? There's competing chromophores. So this is something that needs to be addressed from the very, very basic level of, you know, our medical textbooks. Are they, you know, representing the span, the spectrum of skin tones, right? Um, When we're teaching our students the various presentations of skin disorders, And this can go all the way up to really our hardcore um, basic science, medical, clinical research, translational research. Really, are we integrating patients with skin of color and aware of the limitations or maybe lack of limitations in certain treatment modalities? And so there's everything in between. So from the very basic in training to the more complex, there's so much information we have yet to learn and then translate and present that to our students as we continue to evolve in our teachings. Excellent. So let's maybe dive into some of those specifics that you mentioned pertaining to eczema or not. What are the challenges in diagnosing skin conditions in patients of color? So the the most obvious is if we are trying to assess a certain color and there's a background um, competition with the patient skin of color, um, that could pose a challenge. For example, um, commonly we speak about uh, children or adults or anyone suffering from eczema. Typically the rash is red and inflamed. And if you have, or I should say the darker your skin tone, it could pose a challenge to really appreciate the level and the depth of redness in that skin, the, the amount of inflammation in that skin because of the background uh, competing chromophore. So, you know, that is something that I think most people can wrap their minds around, but then there's also other levels of complexity with our medical care management. So one thing that I love to do is uh, procedural dermatology and laser. And so there's a lot of limitations, less so now, but still we have a far way to go as far as our medical devices and our lasers and what that means to certain groups, um, ethnic groups and the tolerability of these devices and whether they can induce 
unwanted side effects. Like can some of these heat heat devices result in melasma? And for example, your Hispanic patients, or um, you know, is there a phototype that cannot tolerate um, a newer advanced lasers? And so what we're seeing is that a lot of the therapies and devices are now trying to consider how broad um, in the spectrum of skin tones can it serve and work on. So I think these are all important considerations that we are seeing people considering and addressing more in the forefront as we advance as a field and a specialty. Mm-hmm. And is this active research that's being done or are these just techniques that are being picked up along the way in your practice and in other practices? I think this has been done for um, some years. We're just refining and getting better. And I know my society in particular, I'm in uh, the field of pediatric dermatology, my specialty, um, we're actively even really even questioning the dogma and things that we've been taught in the past. Like we all understand and accept the Fitzpatrick's phototype. And now we're even considering the basic teachings of that, you know, is there another way to assess a skin phototype and the spectrum and the color of the tones, and maybe even our nomenclature needs to change moving forward. And so these are really, really engaging and exciting areas of opportunity for research that can then be applied and translated to scientific um, research and advancement. But again, this is just the beginning of a very promising future. That's great to hear. And can you explain Fitzpatrick skin types a little bit? Um, so Fitzpatrick skin type is a gradation, Fitzpatrick skin one um, to six in the amount of erythema or redness that arises when you're exposed to um, radiation on the skin. And so it loosely translated to almost like various shades, right? So it was a concept where incorrectly, I think dermatologists started using it as, you know, if you're very fair complected, you're Fitzpatrick one or two, and you're very darker um, skin tones would be on the higher end of the range. And I think there just needs to be a little, a lot of other considerations uh, that go into that spectrum because it's loosely used and not really used in the clinical scenario as it was initially um, investigated and made to be with um, the response to to light. So So is it something that maybe you learned about in school and was favored in the teachings and then in practice, it's not as useful or accurate? Exactly. Well said. Yeah. So it was something that definitely taught to all dermatologists in training and it was... um, very, very important um, to our history of dermatology. And it's just perhaps nowadays we need to refine it if we're going to use it in more of a clinical situation to discuss or communicate different shades and skin colors in patients, in our patients. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to patient takeaways while we're on patients here. Sure. So if they're able to, do you recommend patients of color go to a dermatologist that specifies in skin of color? Uh, You know, there's a lot of research out there that there are a lot of gains and positive outcomes from patients engaging with physicians of their similar background and perhaps color. 
I think it is um, a boon if that connection to a, a physician of any type that can understand you um, as a patient as a whole. But I don't think it's limited to just the physician having your same skin color, right? I think um, it, like I said, it's a big boon, but there's also, you're looking for an experienced dermatologist that knows how to treat someone with skin of color. And so there's a variety of ways that that comes about. And it could be, for example, a dermatologist that has been well-trained in a program that offered a lot of experience in patients with different ethnicities um, and types of uh, skin tones. And so I think definitely patients, if they're more comfortable having a physician with their similar background should absolutely uh, seek that out, especially, unfortunately, we've heard of all too, too many um, scenarios in which, you know, someone had a, um, a negative encounter experience with a, a physician of a dissimilar background. And so if, you know, a patient has had some uh, an experience like that, obviously, um, we wouldn't want history to repeat itself. And if there's a physician that you think could be kinder, gentler, softer, more connected to you, then I would definitely have patients advocate to find that type of a physician. But I think you can find those similar um, qualities in physicians that are sensitive and inclusive and diverse and are experienced in treating skin of color with a variety of office treatments. Excellent. Well, we're speaking about patients advocating for themselves and finding the right doctor for them. Uh, are there ways that patients of color have to advocate for themselves to get treatments? I think, um, you know, it should be in an ideal world, not the patient's <laughs> role to advocate for themselves, right? Ideally, I would envision you show up to um, a board-certified dermatologist, a well-trained physician who um, embraces you as a patient in whole and uh, offers you the best up-to-date medical care and treatment. Now, again, that's the ideal world. And so if that is not um, possible where you're located, for example, um, there's a limited uh, selection of diversity, then yes, um, for patients that need to advocate for themselves, I think a wonderful way to do that is to ask around, right? Referrals are a big source of hearing from others, their experience with a particular physician, especially if the source is someone um, of your background. And that way you can kind of navigate and move towards um, a physician where you think you could be well-received in their practice. Mm -hmm. Word of mouth. Yeah, it's huge for sure. Um, and then again, um, there's a lot of national societies. There's a lot of platforms online, uh, patient support groups, um, community organizations, and a lot of, I think with, we all know with our internet um, search capabilities, there's a lot out there now where you can see national reputable medical organizations uh, dedicated with their mission to being inclusive and giving the best care to um, patients of all skin types. And so those would be the ones that you would seek out, these organizations dedicated to serving the community at large. 
What are some of those resources that are available for patients to educate themselves? Oh, yeah, we have the American Academy. If I could give out some plug out, you know, call outs, the American Academy of Dermatology. We have the Skin of Color Society. We have the National Medical Association or the NMA. Um, even in my field, the Society of Pediatric Dermatology and PEDRA doing a lot of uh, dedicated dedicated expansion to promoting, you know, the best quality medical skincare for our pediatric patients. And we just um, released the special, a special journal edition solely devoted to equity, diversity, and inclusion um, in our field. So there's a lot of exciting changes occurring throughout the country, uh, especially in regards to medical education and our specialty in particular, because it speaks volume when, you know, the majority of your work is dependent on visual cues and um, assessing different tones and shades in patient skin. So um, I'm very excited for what's to come. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like the future is bright here. (laughs) (laughs) And I have one final question for you. Sure. What is your favorite part of being a pediatric dermatologist? Ooh, well, I can't just give you one. (laughs) Well, for sure. um, Taking care of children. That's my absolute joy and pleasure. And it's on, it's an honor to be trusted by the family and to have them trust their, their babies or their child to you and the the care that you can offer them as a family unit. Um, But I would say another big boon for me being a dermatologist in my field is really the mentorship there's such so few of us pediatric dermatologists that would take the additional years of training and um, really focusing our subspecialty to uh, have a dedicated practice to children. So I think um, being regarded as a specialist to the specialists, so to say, and really working um, side and side in a small community of specialists, I really love the opportunity for mentorship in general. Um, And it goes all the way down to just being an example for medical students to um, invite them to the field, having them been exposed all the way up to pediatricians. So I've trained pediatricians, dermatologists, pediatric dermatology fellows at all levels of career. Um, And I think that is one of the most rewarding things that I've, I'm now seeing in the back end when I go to conferences and um, people stopping me and giving me meaningful reminders of things that I've taught them or said to them or impacted them at some level in their um, training career. And I, I, I just feel really grateful for that and really blessed to have been a part of their life and intersected their journey in medicine at some point and left something memorable and positive to them. Yeah, that's lovely. And you're advancing the field in the process of mentoring. And (laughs) that is, yeah, that's a continual quest, right? To always be on the forefront of um, movements that are really important and impactful to us as a physician um, that will translate to our patients. Um, And, you know, even in medicine, there's beautiful collaborations that we're having with, you know, other thought leaders in different fields, um, which is also really, really special. So you have, um, you know, researchers, um, major um, 
beauty brands that are helping to champion the cause and breaking down barriers that are partnering with dermatologists, even um, industry um, that really are trying to partner and really understand and get to the core of this. And for example, a beautiful uh, relationship that came out of uh, one of my um, medical advisory roles and speaking opportunities. Um, there was a lady that left industry, but ended up writing a book um, on why we need more Hispanic physicians in the United States. And it was looking to empower with data and statistics, understanding that there's an important need for recruiting Hispanics into medicine and other STEM careers. And so being interviewed for that book and being able to share some mentorship advice was very meaningful because to be frank, I went through medical school as a first physician in my family, even the, you know, first in this country. Um, so I didn't feel I had true solid mentorship throughout my training, much less getting into medical school. So I think things like this are really helpful at different stages in a medical career and being, you know, asked to um, give advice, looking back and helping trainees coming up is extremely valuable. And very, very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we are so lucky to have you at the forefront. I'm speaking on behalf of the eczema community here. <laughs> oh, I so appreciate that. Uh, my heart is with this condition and just so many new advances are coming through, whether it's medical therapy or just um, a little bit more understanding of the mechanisms of the disease to provide uh, care and hope for our patients and their families, because we know it's a condition that in fact, not just the patient, right? Your, your whole community, your family is impacted by this. So um, it is an honor to actually really be a part of this community. And I thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And I am going to be launching more of some educational segments on my Instagram account so folks can follow me at drmommy.derm. So that's D-R-M-O-M-M-Y dot derm. And just get an idea of some of the challenges and more so some of the insights and updates that we have for families and children suffering with eczema put that in the episode description as well so people can find it there well thanks so much for joining me this was great my pleasure thank you for the invitation i'd love to do it again yeah we'll definitely have to have you back all right be well thank you again bye Bye bye-bye thanks for listening to this episode of eczema out loud you can visit the national eczema association at www nationaleczema.org If you have feedback on this episode or you'd like to send in a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at nationaleczema.org We hope you'll join us next time.